This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's beginning to look a lot like Snark Monkey. Hey, look what I did there. I took a traditional holiday classic song and I adapted it for my own comedic purposes. That's called a parody. You're welcome. You learned a little something. Hey, everybody. It's Snark Monkey number 12, and today's, I think I'm a little goofy just because I'm anticipating today's subject, Jane Wells, who, on the surface, her bio reading business news reporter at CNBC covering retail, agriculture, and defense, and you're thinking, okay, a snooze fest. However, here's the kicker. Uh, she also happens to be one of the silliest, goofiest, and just outright funniest field reporters for a business news channel that you'll ever find. <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. She has the ability to find these great, irreverent angles on what could be the most boring topics. Here's a prime example. She actually found a way this week, as I record this, to do a report on the business of ugly holiday sweaters. How great is that? In fact, you can go look that up and check out her unique take on what that means as she wears a total of six extremely ridiculous holiday sweaters and does a uh, sort of very non-sexy strip tease to reveal them over the course of one hour. It's pretty funny stuff. And she's she's got that great take and still puts out the information. We cover all this in the podcast. But um, really interesting story. And another cool one that takes a bunch of left turns from what her goals were to what she's doing now. So enjoy this. CNBC reporter Jane Wells. Here's Snark Monkey number 12. And deck the halls with boughs of Snark Monkey. See... You know, as Letterman says, there is no off on the genius switch. But luckily, there is an off switch on the microphone. Okay, goodbye. I just want to um, silence everything. So all your yeah, I on this all pathetic. your equipment. Ridiculous. Yes. Now yeah. that I have all three devices off, we're we are tethered to that stuff, aren't we? I don't know. How did we exist before? Actually, I, I just had one of those lunches where I, I ate alone, but I was looking around the room, and you know, couples <laughs> couples would come in and they talk. What are you going to get? What are you going to get? And then silence, and they're both staring down at themselves. Can you hear yourself? Uh, yeah. There we go. That's better, right? Yeah. All right. Good. You're one of those nice... Pro- I don't have to remind you what it's like to project. Mm. You're like a professional. I started in radio. You did? 
my my uh, well, we can say this on my meteoric rise to uh, mediocrity. <laughs> uh, when were you in radio? My first paying job in broadcasting was when I was a senior at USC, and I got it at Kiss FM. Uh, writing what? stories for the late great Liz Fulton. Yes. For Rick Dees, who had just come back to Los Angeles uh, after being se- um, exiled for a while. Well, he 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 had come to L.A. after KHJ. the success of you know Disco Duck and yes. all that. He had been in Memphis. Yes. And I know this because I worked at Kiss FM not too long after. <laughs> this is so weird. I didn't know this, Jane. Um, yeah, he he was at KHJ doing Top 40 because he was a big deal after Disco Duck yes, and all that. Yes, yes. Uh, as in Rick's words, KHJ changed format from boss to hoss. They went country. <laughs> he dropped off the face of the earth for a little while, and then Kiss hired him, and he became the biggest disc jockey in the world. This was 1981, fall of 81 when I came. And he, I think they were paying him the outrageous salary of $100,000 to come back to Los Angeles. Big news. And Big news. Yeah, so here I was. I was writing for Liz, and then Liz hadn't had... If anybody in radio remember Liz Fulton, she had that wonderful like six-pack-a-day yeah. voice. Yeah, she was... She, yeah. And she lived it. <laughs> and she hadn't had a, a, a week off in forever, so she goes into Jerry DeFrancisco, the program director, Kiss FM, and says... Uh, I need to have a week off, and I'm taking next week off, that kind of thing. And he says, well, I don't have anybody to replace you. And here I am, 21 years old. I have a tape, Mr. DeFrancisco. <laughs> so he puts the tape in, and he's like, tomorrow I'm trying you out on the AM side. Now, the AM side was Christian, K-Praise, KPRZ. Right, which which a couple of years later changed to Music of Your Life, show tunes. <laughs> yes, they brought in... Uh, Don, oh my gosh, no, I've written a bill, I don't, these are, I'm sorry. And they brought in um, a bunch of classic guys. Anyhow, I went yeah. on the Gary next Owens. Day. Gary Owens, yeah. thank you. Jeez. Yeah. I couldn't sleep all night, and I went on the air the next morning for KPRZ, and I did, it was fine. He's like, fine, you're next week with with Rick Dees. So my FM radio debut of my entire life was doing the morning news with Rick Dees. All right, now here's... This is blowing my mind a little bit, only because (laughs) you and I didn't really know each other at USC, but I knew of you. No, we knew each other. eh, The the summer of love, but that was not with each other. No, not with each other. I I don't know that you were aware of me. I think that you've made that up. But you were... No. There was an office on the campus of USC when I was a freshman. I hate to, to do the math here, but I was a freshman... And I was working in the thematic option office. So was I, yes. Yeah. And that's that was this honors program that they came up with to make it seem like I got, and I got totally <laughs> bamboozled into taking this thing. Oh, your grades are so good, and you've got such good scores. Wouldn't you? I mean, they played to my little freshman ego, and so all of a sudden I'm writing 15-page papers yeah. on Antigone while... <laughs> I'm getting a D for the first time in well, your I just, life. <laughs> I, I was working so hard, and my roommate in freshman comp is writing a page and a half on eating pizza on the weekend, and he gets an A. Yeah. So that that thing kicked my ass. Anyway, I was doing work study at the thematic option office, and were and ended up working for a woman named B.J. Haley, who mm-hmm. is still around and writing books, and she's got kind of a very interesting career. Um, and for some reason, you were pointed out, and and to me, you were this exotic kind of exotic edgy, edgy kind of. Um, I don't know. There was something wow. that I, my memory of you is that you scared me a little bit. Oh, thank God. You were like 
worldly and and whoa yeah i don't want to make that sound bad no i love it nah. because that was not my image at all my image at all was that i was desperate <laughs> uh <laughs> lonely hungry okay maybe ambitious. that was it that was it maybe ambitious. that was it I don't know, but I but I have a distinct memory of you, and then I don't think I ever saw you again uh, until uh, years later. I was working on the radio uh, at the dearly departed FM one hundred one point nine, and it was the night that the Beatles were releasing that new single "Free as a Bird." It was part of the anthology that they were you yep. know broadcasting. Um, I happened to be on the air. I think it was on a Friday or something. I was filling in for somebody, and this was before the Internet. They were releasing it via satellite, and we were going to pull it down and play it on the air, and you, as a KTLA Channel 5 reporter in Los Angeles, were assigned to come into the radio station and watch (laughs) the exciting process of pulling a song down off the satellite. (laughs) And... You were in the studio. You interviewed me. I think you ended up using some footage. You shot some B-roll of the studio, and then you left. And and I spent the next two weeks going, why did I know that woman? Why did I know that woman? Why did I know that woman? Wow. And it wasn't until I saw you do a report on television where I went, that's that's the same fucking Jane Wells that I was scared of freshman <laughs> yes. year. Who was exotic. Who was and, and exotic. The, and the thing that threw me is that you had become blonde at some point. Right. I was were, no longer exotic. You were not. A, you were a dark, exotic <laughs> creature. In no, US I was Yes. And then the next time I see you was a Taco Bell in Burbank. But I think that's I had my different... kids with me then, yeah. That's a whole different story. So anyway, in 1984, I had taken a semester off from USC. I went to do radio back in Texas, where I grew up, put a station on the air, uh, had been there a couple of months. I had I'd taken the semester off because USC had over... Uh, enrolled its film school, which was very hot at the time. Right. Well, and still is. And, and, and very much so. But they didn't have the facilities to handle all the people they had accepted. And so they told, uh, the, like I was a junior, I guess, at that point. They said, well, we're not going to be able to let you take the classes <laughs> you're supposed to take. So it would have been a semester, wow. essentially, of cinematic basket weaving. I, I would have repeated classes I had already taken. So I took a semester off, went back to Texas, put a station on the air, had a great air check, reconnected with some friends that I had met when I was part-time working at KFI as a phone op, as a as a request turkey. Um, this is pre-Rush. Oh, yeah. What was, what, who was on KFI? KFI was top 40 up until, like, 1981. And it was Loman and Barkley in the oh, morning. Oh, right, right. And a Big Ron O'Brien was the guy I worked with, Tim Kelly, who ended up starting the company that we're in right now. So I ended up as a 21-year-old being a weekend disc jockey on KISS FM oh my in 1984 to 1986. And I was the first disc jockey to make the transition from KPRZ, Music of Your Life, to a simulcast, basically, of the same format on the AM, KISS AM, it became. So I <laughs> so had no idea. So give me your FM, like, uh, 1980s FM uh, opening for your show. No. No, I will not. Hey, everybody. No, it wasn't. No. It, you go up about nine <laughs> octaves. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's 102.7 Kiss <laughs> FM, the amazing Larry Morgan. That's what I was. I was the loudest, most obnoxious. And I'll stop talking about me in a second. No, I love this. But I'm driving to school. I'm still going to USC. I'm going to into film school classes one morning. And Rick Dees is on the radio. I had been on the station for maybe just a couple of months. And Rick starts doing a riff. It's Monday morning, I remember this. He starts making fun of me. He does his impression of me. Oh, my God. And Rick is going, hey, everybody, it's Larry Morgan. On the- hey, <laughs> hey, 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 who's this on the phone? How old are you? 14. <laughs> Sorry, you're too old. 
I'm from Texas, and I talk real. He was making fun of me. So I get this. And Rick Dees is the most popular. Of course. Dis- he is the most popular radio personality in the universe at this time. Yes. So I get to school, and all anybody says is, wow, what the hell does Rick Dees have against you? <laughs> like, so, yeah. Anyway. Well, here's my Rick Dees story, if I can tell one. Yeah. God, yes. I'm sitting in there. All right. I am this 21-year-old senior uh, journalism major, going to be the next Walter Cronkite, and I'm doing the news headlines for Rick Dees in the morning. <laughs> and I had one funny kicker about a woman found stuck in a mattress that had folded up. And it had he to com- be rescued or and, something? Uh, yeah, some sort of, you All know, right. and it, it, she was naked or some kind of, you know, after that. He right com- up his alley. Right. right? He... During the commercial break, he runs into the news booth where I am. He says, I want a story like that every hour, (laughs) even if you have to make it up. I was like, Rick, I don't make up stories. I just report the news. I'm a journalist. (laughs) I'm a journalist. Uh, But then, of course, I secretly went through and, like, found anything that I could remotely stretch into another, you know, woman. Yeah, Kim, the modern-day version or the old version of Kim Kardashian's butt. So he was happy with you, kind of. He was, but I'm sure at the same time he's thinking, like he when he was, holy cow, because I'm not talking like this now. I'm like, well, Rick, in today's headlines, the school board has decided because I'm about ready to crap my pants. I'm so nervous. Well, Rick, and finally, a woman found naked in a mattress. Police had to, so he, yeah. I he, think but he was nice to me. He I was think very it's nice. interesting. But your instincts early on to, you <laughs> obviously did some hard news that day. Yeah. But you found the silly story. I, I mean, I think if we're going to go full circle as we talk about your journey through through news or whatever, um, you are, let's admit, the silliest person on CNBC. You realize that. Well, somebody has to be. I, well, I know. And, and you don't seem to have uh, any shame about showing yourself in the silliest light as much as possible. Uh, uh, for example, your very bad dancing on your Instagram account, or many, many other a list, a long list of things that you are more than willing to humiliate yourself over. That's the only reason I still have a job. I am convinced because, <laughs> as much as you thought I was exotic and somehow dangerous, dangerous, yes. uh, back in the day. Uh, I think one of the keys to my survival in this business is not taking myself seriously. I was never hired for being a beauty queen. I mean, you you turn on the TV and these women are just, and the women I work with, who are extremely smart, but they are stunning. They are stunningly beautiful. So I was, which I was never going to get hired for that. So I had to be a really good reporter and a really good writer and bold. And I think also the ability to completely make fun of myself is something those women have a lot a hard time doing, and well, men too. I think. Well, I think anybody in in there still is a level of I want to be taken seriously, no matter what the story may be. Yes. And there's also an inability for most news anchors to be able to straddle that line. Brian Williams, for instance, is one who has very deftly been able to be extremely. A great deal of gravitas. Yes. You you trust every word he says, and he can be the biggest idiot in the world in the in in the most tasteful way. And people understand the switch. Yeah, I think that in some ways it has hurt me, especially when I was younger, because people said, you know, you lack gravitas because I would always go for the goof. But I think 
I can look. I can turn today. I was covering, you know, Wynn Resort. First, I was covering, you know, the IRS is uh, talking to CPAs in Colorado about how they can go ahead and do taxes for marijuana companies and not get prosecuted or in, or indicted. And then I was talking about, do we have too many burger joints? And and then I was talking about when resorts is being investigated potentially by the IRS and the SEC and the DEA. And you can go back and forth. And during the burger thing, I'm holding up burgers and, I'm you know, burgers dribbling down my face. <laughs> and I think the audience, once they know you, they, they get it, they, that they, they trust you when you're serious, that you can be serious. And when you can goof, they like that, too. Well, isn't that where news in general just kind of has to be able to be... A little bit of everything to even ha- be that attractive anymore. We would have never, and Walter Cronkite would have never agreed to no. be on a sketch comedy show. No, Dan rather ha- has, <laughs> hit, has had his silly moments. <laughs> I'm not really sure they were calculated, but he again he would have never done something like that either. But the nature of of news and that that butting heads with entertainment and infotainment or whatever buzzy words you want to give it, you guys have to worry about that now you're trying to fill so many hours with content well news is changing what people want how they want it delivered at from it was changing from when i was in journalism school you know we never would have done this we would have never had a point of view on a story and i still struggle with that when i write a web story or blog you're supposed to have a point of view and give your opinion and i try to do it in a snarky way so it's sort of a half an opinion and i straddle something but news changes, and you need to adapt to it. What the audience wants, you have to give the audience what they want, as long as it's still factual, uh, accurate, and fair, and gives them what they need to make a, a good decision. The form that comes in evolves. In fact, I think in some ways it's going back to what it was back in the William Randolph Hearst days. But Oh, in what way? Wait, wait, explain that. I think there's so much more opinion journalism. There's so much more journalism with, uh, that advocates, that, has, that is trying to get you to think one way. But what's so good right now is there are so many ways to get information that if somebody is wrong, uh, people are going to call them on their bullshit pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, there is a lot of wrong information, though. But it doesn't stay wrong long. Yeah. (laughs) Hold on. There's the quote of the day so far. It doesn't stay wrong long, if I could even say that properly. Uh, Yeah, because everybody's, I mean, if you bypass fact-checking, somebody else will be on. I mean, that, that's part of the problem, too, which is people are going to be quick to judgment, quick to stating facts that aren't, all that sort of thing. And then you have to sift through what's real and what's not. That's I, a, Yeah, that's as a consumer. As a reporter, you have to be very hard not to jump on something that you don't know, don't have any basis of reporting. And you see that so much yeah. in our business on Twitter, retweeting tweets that are completely wrong. But again, I feel like you have... Look, we're in the business of selling ads. Yeah, it's true. Advertising time is the only thing that keeps you guys on the air. It pays my salary. Yeah. So how do I get you to watch so you'll watch the commercial? I get you to watch by giving you information that's true, useful, and you want to see it. It's entertaining. And that last thing in particular is changing, especially with the, this term I hate, millennials. <laughs> millennials trust no one, which is good. Mm-hmm. They look at everything everywhere, great, and their attention span lasts 10 seconds. So not only, I mean, the people who are watching me on CNBC for the most part are not millennials, but they're making us, you know, I'm having to do social media, I'm doing video clips, things that mobile, mobile, mobile is where it's at. Can you tell us a story in 30 seconds that somebody who's 25 years old is going to want to play on his or her 
Can you do a story that Reddit will pick up? Yeah. Does it? Can it go viral? Does it have the legs to at least in a 24-hour news cycle be around and be top of the stack somewhere? Right. And I don't want to do something just to do it. Although today I did something just for that purpose. Which was? A, a test preparation company called Catalyst has come. They do. They do. Uh, they help you prep for the SAT. Mm-hmm. They have come up with three geometry questions for the SAT based on Kim Kardashian's butt. From just last week? Yes. Like, is that what, what is, I saw you tweeting? What is the, oops, sorry. What That's is the right. radius? What is the perimeter? Radius, as someone said. <laughs> somebody, somebody called her a trampezoid. Oh, God. see, this is great. This is great. Now, we have to, uh, a little caveat here. I don't know when this is going to get posted. So okay. we are talking about this almost not even a week after, I guess, or just about a week after that picture uh, surfaced. So already there is. Business is capitalizing on it. Oh, wow. And I capitalized on their capitalization so we can go viral so more people will click on a CNBC and see the ad so I will get paid. Yes. Back to you. <laughs> All right. Let's go back, back to uh, the beginnings. Olden times. Yes. Where Where are you from? Canyon country. You, so another L.A. native. I'm yeah. discovering more and more of you actually exist. Where are you from? Uh, Texas. Odessa. Oh, so you, okay. West Midland, Texas. Odessa. Midland, Odessa. Friday Night Lights. Oh, man. Oil. Permian High School. Football. Yeah. Yep, that whole bit. Oil. No, I did not play. Oil. Oh, yeah, lots of oil. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those, uh, those, we call them grasshoppers, those pumps just for we miles and miles. We got them here, miles. but not out in Canyon Country they got them. I know. Uh, was Canyon Country far <laughs> back then? <laughs> it hasn't changed much. Yeah, it's still far. It still has, it just, it has the same roads, but like five times as many houses. Right. So traffic back there is horrible. Yeah, I graduated from Canyon High School and, you know, they went to SC. No, LA girl. My parents, classic, you know, post-World War II California story. My dad was from Missouri. My mom's from Arkansas. They both made their way to California. He worked in aerospace. They, she just wanted a better life. Ended up at the Warner Theater as a hostess. Oh, really? Isn't that nice? Working, yeah. working at Bank of America during the day. Talking, we used to talk about Charlton Heston was so nice when he'd come in and make his deposits. <laughs> <laughs> Met here, married, and you know had a family. So when did wanting to be a journalist come into the mix? What, what, what interested you as a kid? What kind of kid were you? Dark, exotic, no, dangerous? No, I was the fourth <laughs> out of five. I, I was... Five kids? Yeah, I was the fourth. So very loud, very obnoxious, desperately seeking attention, all the reasons people go into television. And <laughs> I wanted in high school, I just wanted to do something fun and big that would make me a lot of money. And when I was in high I know, that's, aren't those noble ambitions to be a journalist? I think, you know, <laughs> kids that are taking notes out there, write that down. In high school, Barbara Walters signed a $1 million contract to co-anchor the ABC Evening News with Harry Reasoner. Right. And I thought, I can do that. <laughs> you got a million dollars. I can, to, I can read the freaking news. Do that. So then I started looking into it, and SC, USC had a great program. And then, as it turns out, I really liked it. I've never been an anchor. I've never wanted to be an anchor. I like going out. And seeing things with my own eyes. You know, the anchors will be in there. I, yeah, I covered Rodney King. I covered the riots. I covered OJ. I covered the earthquakes. I covered the impeachment trial of President Clinton. On and on and on and on. And anchors will say, I remember covering that. I'm thinking, I didn't see you out there as Malibu was burning down. No, you threw it to me. All <laughs> yeah. right? You actually said, and now here's so-and-so with yeah. the actual story. Uh, were you a news junkie growing up? I mean, were you watching? No. no? No, we'd watch 60 Minutes uh, back, 
because my parents would sit down on Sunday evening back after Star Wars, 67, 68. I don't remember when it, it started. It was the most popular show on TV for the longest time. Yes. By uh, far. But that was, no, I didn't really get into it until I decided I wanted to get into it. I know that sounds, but hey, I was 16. That's still young. Well, so what were you into? What were you watching? Or what? I mean, if you did oh flip gosh. on the TV, what were you watching? Happy Days. Yeah. This is so bad. Uh all my children. Why is that bad? Oh, my, Luke and Laura, General Hospital. Oh. Yeah, now that was that was my life. That wedding happened while I was at USC, and the whole freaking world shut down. Everybody <laughs> and and this was a time nobody had a, a TV on their phone or on their laptop. It was yes. nine thousand people crowded into those with, with the cleaning ladies in the dorm TV rooms. <laughs> yeah, there was the vacuum going yes. off. Yeah, it was the communal room where there were hundreds of people. Ridiculous! I one of my jobs when I was at SC is boys, kids. This is something you'll have to Google. I worked as a an answering service switchboard operator at Hollywood and Vine. Where before you had answering machines. This is ridiculous. We're talking 1980. People didn't have, people would have a service answer their phone <laughs> when you weren't there. And it was like Lily Tomlin, you know, yes. with the little moving the, dingy in the Yeah, that around. Hold on for Mr. Wilson. Hold on. Yes, Mr. <laughs> yes, yes, Mr. Perry. Yes, I'll get right with you. Hold on. Let me connect you. Is that, I mean, you were pulling the little yes. switches out and putting and them back in? A was lot it, of, was a your lo- life in black and white at that time? What the hell? <laughs> No, really? No, and then I traded in my horse for, but we <laughs> had it, a lot was of- Was Hollywood and Vine just oh a dirt intersection? It, oh, it was, Hollywood <laughs> tr- and Vine was, the trolleys was so much by? worse than it is oh, now. Oh, God, it was- It was, it was nasty. Scary, yeah. Well, remember where Kiss FM was, Sunset oh, and yeah. Vine, which now is is gorgeous, and there's a Starbucks, and, and but that B of A across the street there, you go to the ATM at, in 1984 around that time, and you were putting your life in your yes, hands. Yes, yeah. No, I so, th- so my Luke Uh-oh. and Laura story is, yes. there were all these Hollywood celebrities that I would answer, and one of them was Anthony Geary, who was Luke. <laughs> I will not, if you're out there, Mr. Geary, I will not reveal a thing. Did you listen in? Well... I sometimes you would not know that mm. he'd answer the phone and you'd get in, or the people who would call and leave messages. Listen to really? this. It's going to be in the book one day, I hope. No book. Ah. Everybody says, oh, you should write a book. I'm like, why kill more trees? Do you go to Barnes & Noble and see the autobiography section? It's like, you know, uh, uh, Lena Dunham? Yeah, everybody. Who can't? What are you, 10? <laughs> What do you, My life so far. Yeah, quit killing one. trees. Yeah. You know, people that I don't even remember are writing books about their lives. And how, why do I want to stop killing trees? <laughs> Nobody cares. This is what you need to know in a, in a nonfiction self-help book or autobiography. Uh, work hard. Be nice. Love your neighbor. Save some money. Eat well. Exercise. All right. Well, we're done. Thank you, Jane Wells. <laughs> no, well, but let's cover some of those things. So you go to USC, you come out, you've you've got the radio gig for like half a second. Yes. Um, what was the next big? Bre- I mean, what were you trying to to? Well, how were I you wanted, trying to get your foot in the door. I wanted to be a TV reporter. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to be a war correspondent. That didn't quite work out. But uh, <laughs> there's still time. There's still war. I got an internship at KTLA writing on the weekends. That turned into a writing job. I wrote for Hal Fishman. Great stories there. Jerry Rubin, the executive producer there, taught me so much about how to write well, how to really write well for television. And it was funny because you would write for Hal, and I would write things like President Reagan defends his strategic defense initiative, and then Jerry would say, Jane, 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 Jane. 
President Reagan never defends anything. He does not have to defend. Hal will not read this like this. So you'd have to rewrite it. And then I thought, you know, I really can't wait to write for myself. <laughs> so I, I would go around on my days off with the camera crew, buy them lunch. I'd stand chambers. They were nice. Let me tag along. They'd shoot me a stand-up. I made a tape. When, sent the tape, drove all over, blah, 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 and finally got my first reporting job in 1983 in Albuquerque, New Mexico at KOB. Sweet. That's basically what you did, is you went and found that market, some you know, medium to, small to medium market. I was going everywhere. Yeah. I was going to Bakersfield, Fresno, Reno, anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Sounds like that Johnny Cash song starting in, <laughs> in the Reno, <laughs> Albuquerque. Uh, how long in Albuquerque? Fifteen months. And that, well, this that's, is but how that's the about it. Is. That's yeah. about it. You're yeah. six months in, you start sending out more tapes, more tapes, more tapes. And then I got a job in Miami uh, at, at Big Jump, WTVJ, right in the middle of the Miami Vice Cocaine Cowboys. It, Miami in the 80s was a fantastic place to be a reporter. How good, how, how interesting was your TV hair around that time? Big. Yeah. Big, big. Oh. And it was bright because you're in Miami, so you're wearing, you know, Carmen Miranda colored clothes. <laughs> In 1980s, triangular, hot pink, you know, Gloria Estefan, Miami Time Machine earrings. You got some shoulder shoulder pads Shoulder going on? pads. Oh, yeah. And, and permed, permed, permed <laughs> hair. Dark. But that was, you know. That's what you did. Was, and Miami was crazy. You could do, you could shoot anything in Miami. This is when I knew you could get anyone to let you shoot anything. <clears throat> John Hambrick, who used to be an anchor in L.A., crazy man, funny, was an anchor in Miami. And I decided to do a series of stories on jobs nobody wants. I went to the morgue where there's like the guy who has to reconstruct the faces of people who melting away in the Everglades to try and figure out who they are. A repo guy. And I thought, proctologist. I mean, you're going to medical school. You can be anything you want. <laughs> Mom, I'm going to be a proctologist. There's money there. <laughs> well, apparently, if you, probably if you're Kim Kardashian's proctologist. Anyhow, Ooh, so <clears throat> back to that. I can't help it's a call go back. there. I know. I know. We need to get back to uh, uh, no. Bill, we're gonna Bill Cosby later. Oh boy! All so right. I go and find this hilarious Cuban immigrant who's a proctologist. I, I he has a great sense of humor. He tells me things like when he goes to a party, everybody backs up against a wall and doesn't want to shake his hand. He has a collection of things he has. <laughs> Hauled out, you know, one in a million uh, that he has extracted from no. people in the ER. No, he doesn't. And here's the thing. I said, well, I'd love to get some video of you doing an exam with a patient. We won't show the part we can't show, but we'd like to be in the room. So, gosh, do you think any of your patients would let us? And he said, well, let's see. First patient in, some guy. I said, hey, we're doing a story on Dr. Blah, blah, blah. Do you mind if we get some video of you? He's like, sure, no problem. So we're standing there. I thought, well, you know, I'll step out. I had a two-man crew. They're in there for like 15 minutes with the guy. The guy's, you know, dropped his drawers and the camera crew, and they're all sitting around there. Anyhow, the, the doctor comes in. We have a nice close-up of him snapping Nothing on the plastic glove. Yeah, yeah. Hand goes out of frame. Three <laughs> seconds later, you hear, mm. <laughs> I think I can convince... You can always find somebody who will let you videotape if you just ask nice and wait and get lucky. Please tell me that's when you won the Peabody. Is no. that uh, 
from that story. That would be a great no, story. I, no, I no no. The right. the Peabody was for the Rodney King coverage. Oh okay. Well all right. Well thanks for that. Bringing, thanks for bringing the room down. <laughs> So, so after that glorious time in Miami, boy, I would have stayed in Miami if I was able to do stuff like that. It was crazy. I went to a swingers club, got people to let me in in the back room. It was crazy, crazy town. But my then fiance and I were both Californians. We wanted to get back to LA. Yeah. So you got back here, end up where KT, uh, again, KTTV, Channel, no, channel Eleven. I got hired here because at a story in Miami, of course, I posed as a prostitute. And that caught the eye of Stephen Chow, whom Rupert Murdoch had hired at Fox to kind of like gin up some uh, sort of news operations. And so he brought me to KTTV in L.A. Yeah. And you ended up on Fox News for a while, correct? Fox News Channel, yes. 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 After, uh, after Channel 11, then I, did, I became the L.A. reporter for WNBC during the end of the first O.J. and second O.J. trials. Then I went to Fox News Channel for a time, and then I came to CNBC. Right. So, you, I mean, you have actually been here in town and covered— some major stories. You mentioned Rodney King. You did get the Peabody for that. You, uh, the O.J. Simpson story. A whole, from day one to the very end. Yeah. And w- what else? I mean, what were some of the other? Oh, so- earthquakes, yeah. uh, fires. I did a lot of stuff. But then when I went with Fox News Channel, then I started covering all kinds of things. And CNBC Primetime. Then I covered uh, uh, the, the impeachment, as I said, and, and Mother Teresa's funeral, which was the most amazing story I've ever covered. And uh, Oh, that Columbine. must have been incredible. It was. I... All right. Here's my story on that. All right. On how that happened. I was a working mom and I my kids were not seeing me very much and I was trying to get myself down to a 4-day work week. And so when I was at Fox News Channel, I was not under contract, which is why I was able to do the Seinfeld finale without them knowing. But that's, that's another right. story. You're in the final episode of Seinfeld. Oh my gosh, Jane. More later. All right. So, uh my son's getting ready to start kindergarten. First day of kindergarten. Princess Diana dies, and they want to send me to London to cover that. Now, as a reporter, who wouldn't want to cover that? Of course. So I had this huge tug of war, and I thought, when I'm on my deathbed, I would like to remember that I went to my son's first day of kindergarten. So with a heavy heart, he he won't remember. I will remember. Oh, you're not going to let him forget. (laughs) Are you kidding? He's going to remember. (laughs) I said, I am uh, not going. They were stunned. I was stunned. Everybody was stunned. But I, I, so I took my son to school for his first day. The day after his first day of kindergarten, Mother Teresa dies. So, of course, she was waiting to reward me for making the right decision. Thank you, Mother. And so they said, well, will you go to Calcutta? I said, you got it. I'm on a plane. Get me there. I had never been to India. I learned a lot about doing reporting in the third world, which means you have got, well, especially India in 1989? No, 1987. Uh it was still very, very third world. You need a lot of money. But it was the most amazing story. Everybody in that city, whether they were Muslim, Hindu, Christian, was in mourning. The lives she touched. I went to a leper colony where people who had been abandoned by their families in ditches had been brought in to her little leper colony. And they were working on, those who still could, were working on textiles and and the and the priests and the nuns there would go around all the time and touch them because nobody would touch them. So they'd put they'd rub their backs, and I remember I had a you know this is 1987 and I'm calling on a cell phone to New York you know big brick thing giant yeah yeah, and thinking here I am in the poorest place on earth with these 
people who have not known love for so long now knowing love. And I'm talking to New York City, and they're like, we're like dropping F-bombs right and left. And I'm thinking like, wow, this is amazing. It was just amazing. And, and I'm trying to think in terms of you, you mentioned it was very third world at the time. No technology that we have now or, or even close. So anybody, a massive amount of people who knew who Mother Teresa was. Yes. And that's purely word of mouth. That's just the story of her spread yes, through millions of people. That that funeral, and I felt so much more honored to be able to cover that than mm-hmm. for, for all the tragedy and, and the, the good works of Princess Diana. And that's just such a sad story. To go to, go to Mother Teresa's funeral mm-hmm. and to see the, just see the people she had impacted really meant a lot to me. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And so you come back. When did CNBC uh, become a full? Oh, wait, no, no. Yeah. Sein, we got to go do Seinfeld. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, it's a great story. Yeah. In my in my humble opinion. If I remember, you're talking to Geraldo Rivera. Correct. On the final episode of Seinfeld. Yes. The much maligned, maligned and debated yes. final episode of Seinfeld. Yes. Which I'm still getting checks for, by the way, for a dollar and thirty five cents. It's on every day. I, I love it. There are billboards up in town. <laughs> Seinfeld on. <laughs> well, the show's still funny. Oh, yeah. The finale, maybe not so much, but the show. <laughs> so I had covered the second OJ trial for WNBC and for Geraldo's show on CNBC. Then I went to go work for Fox News Channel, not under contract. I get a call from Castle Rock Entertainment on my birthday saying, would you like to be in the final episode of Seinfeld? Of course, I think they're joking. I think it's a prank. It's my birthday. And I think, oh. Turns out <laughs> it's not a prank. I say, of course. Well, you can't tell anybody. I said, no problem. <laughs> so I show up for my the day of the shoot. I get put in one of this little trailer. This is pre-internet, you know, so I have to sit in the trailer all day. They give me only my lines with like a big number across them. So if you tried to fax them out secretly, they would know who it came from. Right, back right. Back in the pre, again, pre-internet days. So I go in the makeup trailer and there's Julia Louis-Dreyfus getting her makeup on. And then, you know, Michael Richards walks in. And they're like goofing around, and I'm sitting there going, holy shit, I can't tell anybody. I can't tell anybody. Yeah. There's freaking, you know, Elaine. And, and this Kramer. is in their final hours Oh, I know, and they're like the laughing, show. and they're tra- they have no idea who I am. They're like, oh, hey, hi. I'm like, hi, hi, uh. <laughs> So I go out, and I have a big, I have a big thing, a big line, because I'm recapping the trial for Geraldo. And Larry David comes over to me, and he says, I know you, you work in news. But I'm asking you not to tell anybody what's going on here. He had been a huge fan of the OJ trial. That's why this all happened. He reckoned, he was watching that and watching. That's you why he on wanted it. Geraldo and the trial coverage as part of the finale. So I said, "Well, there's a lot of things in my life I've been told that I can't tell, especially in this business, even the you know during the OJ trial. Like what? <laughs> I said I can't tell you." <laughs> So I do my lines like he's, he said, just do it like you would. So I just do my lines like I would, like if I was a reporter. Then he comes up to me and he says, and, and by the way, Jerry Seinfeld's over off the side laughing his ass off, thinking that's the funniest thing he's ever, because of course they wrote the lines. I'm thinking, I'm making Jerry Seinfeld left and I can't tell anybody. <laughs> Larry David comes up to me and he says, after I do it, he says, no, no, no. More like you did it for OJ. And I'm thinking, well, that is, but I, I know what he wants. He wants me to play a TV reporter playing a tv reporter right right so instead of saying so geraldo it just went on and on and on into the night i went so geraldo it just went on and on and on into the night <laughs> and he and 
Larry David, you're like, ah, that's great, that's great, that's great. And I couldn't tell anyone. And so I'm working for Fox News Channel. And I'm doing my story, and it's going to be about six weeks before the show's on. I'm keeping my mouth shut because I'm afraid if anything comes out, they're going to cut me from the show, and I'd rather lose my job than get cut from the show. You got your priorities straight. And That's the, yeah, good. Yeah, well, it's a fun now. And there's a friend of the writers of Seinfeld who's working at the Fox News Channel at the time, and he's all like, oh, yeah, I know what's going on. I can't say anything. I can't say anything. I'm looking at him like, oh, yeah, I think I know what's going on, but I don't say anything. The day of the finale, I am assigned the Seinfeld finale as a story for Fox News. So I go out and do the story. At that point, the Boston Globe is leaking details that it involves a trial. And, I, and I'm thinking, maybe they'll still cut me out. if I, I, So I'm like, hey, you know, there's these details, but do we really want to know? Don't we want to watch it? Blah, blah, blah. I had a pager that a friend back east, again, pre-direct TV. <laughs> a pager. Free this. As soon as I appear on the Seinfeld on the East Coast, Page me one 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 one, and then I'll know. I get it one 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 one. I call my boss, the bureau chief for Fox News Channel, who's at a Dodgers game. I said, "Hey, Fred, I just want you to know I'm in the Seinfeld finale tonight." Long pause. Cool. <laughs> Five minutes later, New York calls. Were you in the Seinfeld finale tonight? Yeah. Well, we want you live at two a.m. Okay. <clears throat> Eleven p.m. Phone rings again. Frank Sinatra just died. Get down to Cedar Side Eye, and you are not to mention one word about Seinfeld. That was it. Wow. Wow. Were they pissed? I guess, but I didn't care. Yeah, and I not. wasn't under contract. And suddenly I was the most famous reporter at Fox News Channel. <laughs> so how many times? I mean, a week after that, we all know everybody stopped and watched that thing that night. I mean, they make jokes about how, you know, there was no traffic. There was no, I mean, it was dead. It was just, there was nothing going on that night. So how many weeks did people go, hey, weren't you in the... It was more for me, revenge on everyone in high school who was mean to me and <laughs> called me ugly. And the people in my life who said that I uh, was a jerk and would not... All of which was true, but it was, it was, it was fantastic. It, that, that's the kind of person I am, Larry Morgan. <laughs> which is what? Vengeful? Yes. Yes? Yes. All right. I'll remember that. Patient. See? And you wonder why I was afraid of you. <laughs> I knew it. So when CNBC comes along, were, how big were they when you first started with them? They were big. Yeah. I came to CNBC primetime in 98, and that's where I covered uh, impeachment and a lot right. of stories like that. And then I covered uh, – the guy who had been at WNBC when I was doing OJ for them went to CNBC Dayside to Business News. And he had said to me earlier, you should come to Dayside. I think you'd like business news. I'm like, it would kill me now. Put, just put a bullet in my head. Yeah, because it, as we've been talking, not one thing you've mentioned in this process has been business-oriented, business-centric. No. You have expressed no interest no. in reporting no. or being a part of those stories. No. no. I had zero interest. <laughs> and so I'm happy doing primetime stuff and regular news. And then I covered Columbine. And that hit me so hard. I had covered other – in Springfield, Oregon, I would covered a school shooting. And I just decided I did not want any more dead kids on my reel. I don't want to do anything having to do with dead kids. And so I called him back and I said, I think I'd like to go to business news on Dayside. I think I'd like to – he said, I think you would like it. 
if you just learn the content, I think you'd really like it, and we need storytellers. So in 2000, I went to Dayside to Business News. I started reading the Wall Street Journal cover to cover, which is still the best written newspaper in America. And the nice thing about the Wall Street Journal is, you know, I didn't know a call from a put. I didn't know a stock from a bond. I didn't know. The Wall Street Journal, in every story, will take one paragraph to explain the concept that it's talking about. And I just learned it's like learning a new language. It's Mm -hmm. like learning Spanish. You just need to know what the words mean and break through it. And in the end, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all trying to convince you that something, one guy wants you to think it's worth A, another guy wants you to think it's worth B, and they meet somewhere in the middle or someone gets scammed. So you've been doing that since 98? No, since 2000. Since 2000. August 2000, I went dayside. All right. So... So business and defense and uh, you've got agriculture, a, agriculture. and Boy, Vegas. that must have been another one they had to talk you into. No, here's the funny thing. Hey, he, we've got this great soybean story <laughs> we want you to you go You would on. be so surprised. So I was doing kind of everything. And I still do everything, which is what I like. I don't like being... Uh, you know, everybody wants to have a beat. I like to have. I like to be. Well, you have the kind of that like the West Coast person, basically. Anything right. that's kind of happening this direction, you tend to you know be the person. Right? We have a media reporter, Julia Borston. We have a tech reporter in the Bay Area, Josh Lipton. But I'm sort of like this roving reporter without portfolio. You know, except I do a lot of agriculture, which was my idea. It was <laughs> what? Yes. Here's why. In 2007, 2008, it's, it's hard. I think our air can be very wallpapery boring. It's, you know, white guys in front of, uh, on set. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm a boring white guy, and I, I, and I no, feel the same you're, way. You're sort of exotic. So <laughs> Stop it. I, I, getting on the air is sometimes hard at a place like, especially when you're not in New York. So commodity beef prices were going up at this point blah 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 and i thought i bet i could get on the air if i stand in front of a cow <laughs> and the rest is history <laughs> every time i stand in front of a cow or a pig and i talk about your cost of your food yeah coming up next a cow you know, people stop what they're doing they take off the mute button they run they watch the lexus commercial which pays my salary <laughs> And stick around for the cow. What, yeah. what the hell is she doing in front of a cow? Yeah. And who knows what's going to happen. Right. Exactly. Right. I'm in a pen with a, a huge boar. Have you ever seen the back end of a boar? <laughs> I can honestly say I have not. This will be my last comparison to Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Uh, retouched or unretouched? I, uh, uh, I don't uh, even say. Is that real? Was that? Is that? Was that? Is that real? I, 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 well, that, I mean, is the is she real? Is the whole thing? Don't even get me started. Now we should get started on that. <laughs> no, I can't. I looked at it. Front looked real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Front looked real. Back did not back look real. Back did not look real. No, back looked like the 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 food you see when they do those food <laughs> that they you know they spray the stuff on the on the plastic versions of food to make it look like like she was in a japanese restaurant window yes, yes. <laughs> i don't know did you i mean did you have a take on that did you have to report on that no i wanted to because coming up next the business of kim kardashian's butt all right, you take that's, the mute button off, you watch the Lexus ad, the Lexus ad, blah, blah, blah. That is a great tease. Yeah. Why wouldn't that go? Because the powers of CBC actually are more intelligent and mature than I am. and uh, That's a bummer. I know. Yeah. 
What's uh, you've so 2000 to now? Yes. you've seen, especially in technology and communication, you see have seen things change drastically. What's probably been is the internet in general just kind of the biggest story? Is that I maintain that you know a lot of people were talking about you know we'll never see another Beatles again or whatever. I feel like the internet is the Beatles. Of our generation, huh. I mean, it's, well, it has changed everything. It's the it's the thing that it was. It's a sea change in terms of how we deal with almost anything. Wireless internet, wireless yeah. internet. Yeah. The fact that uh, I call my phone my portable brain. We don't have to retain any information. We don't need to. We don't really need to know anything as long as we have our phone, which is for better for worse. And then 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 the smartphone would be the other other component of that. Whether starting with the iPhone, actually starting with the iPod to the iPhone, the right. you know. And the smartphones that followed. It's, it, I try to explain to my kids what it was like before you could go on Wikipedia and find out incorrect information for your history paper. <laughs> I can't quite remember we how. We had encyclopedias. We'd go to the library. I can't even remember how we, I can't even remember how we communicated with each other. Because I've, I'm caught up in it, too. I mean, I was making fun of the couple at lunch that ordered their food and then immediately started staring at their mm. phones in silence for the next 20 minutes. But I do the same thing. I my eyes gravitate to it. I have to kind of see who's posted what or who's done what or who's posted a Instagram of them dancing poorly uh, <laughs> on the set somewhere. Um, I find myself, you know, finding entertainment in those. I don't know that I have a quiet moment. I think days. that's the problem is we don't know how to even do just one thing at a time. Yeah. I mean, how difficult is it just to drive your car, which is what we should be doing, right? Without looking and checking, and yes. you feel the vibration or you hear the ding yes. and you just... Or yeah, even cool. me, I can't even stop with the stupid changing, you know, my satellite radio every 20 seconds because <laughs> I've been bored with this song. And how pissed off are you that the safety features on your car don't allow you to navigate <laughs> while you're driving? And you're going, I just, just want to find out where the closest Starbucks is. Yes, yes. Siri... So what do you what do you seem to be covering most these days? What what's the most common thread? I would right now? say the two two things are defense because uh, still in Southern California, aerospace and defense is a big deal. But also, I do a lot of space, and I think SpaceX is a really exciting story and has shaken up everything. And it's actually shaken up the status quo. I've had acts, in a good way, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah, because me too. now companies like Boeing and United Launch Alliance, all these other sort of traditional staid space-related companies who would never really have much media access, with Elon Musk having some kind of Hollywood to do all the time with the big, you know, lights and music and all this, they're now letting you have access, and they're and they're becoming more competitive. It's it's really exciting, I think, what's happening with space. And then the other thing is ag, food, 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 yeah. food, a lot of food stuff. And uh, I've noticed... My and wife, marijuana. Oh, my gosh, marijuana. That's I cover marijuana almost every week. And it's big business. It's I mean, huge. So you're finding in the states that are have made it legal. You Obviously, you have your fingers on the pulse of this. Are you seeing that it is becoming more business-like now? Is it is it generating the kind of revenue that they thought it would? Is it changed the way people have approached it because it's not a taboo subject anymore? I think a lot of things are changing. The, the whole taboo is falling away. Yeah. But, but it's not this sort of like, wow, look, marijuana is legal. And it's so great the way it's being rolled out. And everybody is such a legitimate business person. And there are no problems. They are they are collecting. I think so far fifty million dollars and just in taxes in Colorado this year. Okay, through September, that's just in taxes. So you can imagine what the actual total sales are. Right. 
when I go to Denver, which is further along than than Seattle, there are a lot of people smoking a lot of pot. Really, a lot of stoners. Every stoner in the you know Western United States is gravitating towards these areas, and those who are there are smoking a lot of pot to the point where I think Governor Brown has a point when he says in California, "Gee, what kind of citizenry do you want to attract?" Now, if it's <laughs> if it's legal on a widespread basis, then the potheads can get spread around. The 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 investors, the business people involved, run the whole gamut from, you know, Cheech and Chong. I'm going to make a million now doing what I product I know very well, to uh, Wall Street guys, uh, mostly guys who see this. They want to get on the ground floor, and maybe they use, maybe they don't use. But they want to get into a business that they think that they need to bring best practices to and that will be legitimate and can eventually be something very, very big. In between is sort of the whole thing. What I find interesting is when you go into the stores, a lot of the stores are owned or run by women because it gives it a completely different vibe. It's not the head shop stoner vibe. Right. It's not the dude. It's, yeah. yeah. It's 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 like it's, a cookie store. Yes. Because you have so many varieties and you have all this cr- yes. creativity that could be going and, on there. And she's more like and, a pharmacist yes. helping you. What, you know, what are you looking for? I think I can, I'm a, I'm a nurturer. I can help you do that. Here's a, here's a fine cheese and here's... <laughs> the pro- I just think, though, they do have to start rebranding it when it's like, you know, Kush Dynamite. You right. need to come up with something more like, um, I don't know, Autumn Leaves. I don't know what you would call it, but something <laughs> a bit more... It sounds like a feminine product right there. <laughs> <laughs> whole different deal. Uh, would you have ever predicted in 2000 that you would be once a week doing a story on on a legitimate business of no. marijuana? Yeah, no, didn't see that coming. No, back then we were doing the first tech boom, uh, right? We, you know, uh, Webvan, Pets dot com, all those things, e toys, right? Boom, all of them. Yeah, startups and. Uh, um, uh, what, do, what do they call those things uh, when they offer in the stock market? IPOs. The IPOs. There we go. Yes, where they didn't have to show any actual point in the future when they were going to turn a profit. Right. And they never did. That's true, right? I yeah. mean, those IPOs were huge. And Ridiculous. That's, that, and that's where a, a lot of that bubble came from, right? It's just that one, was the one first right bubble, after the yes. other. And everybody was chasing it. Yeah. And then so that collapsed, and then I started covering real estate on the West Coast, which was a great timing on that. Yeah. As that went up, 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 well, it's different this time. Everybody told me it's different this time. We have this underlying demand of new families and immigrants. You know, houses are going to still continue to go up. Well, that was not nope. true. Nope. Kaboom. I spent several days standing outside Countrywide where I had friends who worked. Um, that was a strain on our friendship. Oof, that's awkward. Very. So what's the next big story? Next big trend. Mm. Get your finger on the pulse. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Jane Wells on the pulse. <laughs> well, I, you know, that's a good... I just think that wearables and... Wearable tech and when we eventually become the Borg. You know, if, we, if the phone is actually implanted in our brain, then Look, we really don't need to think. Everything that feels science fiction right now is exactly what's going to happen. Because who would have... I mean, has anybody been a visionary enough to have predicted this little rectangle we carry with us does... I mean, nobody's got that right. I don't remember ever seeing anything. Even as recently as, um, you know, um, 
minority report, you know, with the it's like <laughs> even they weren't getting that right. You right. Know, Star Trek maybe, maybe Gene Roddenberry. You needed somebody's eyeball. To, that was your that was your bio. Uh, right. Metric. Yeah. Maybe Gene Roddenberry only the only guy in kind of pop yeah. culture. You know what was that the trike the the, the tricorder? Yeah. And the and the communication device. And when <laughs> well yeah, but when like Bones runs his thing over you, they're like doing surgery over you without non-invasive surgery. Right. Right. So maybe he was the only guy that kind of got it pretty close. But Uhura could have never been captain. <laughs> she could have been Jeans. <laughs> you make a good point. Yes. Um, you want to talk to Bill Cosby now and wrap things up? Sure. Again, not knowing when know. this is going to be posted. Let's hope nothing tragic happens between now and then. I, I will go on the record. I'll cut it out if it does. He did not rape me. No. <laughs> That's not why I did he drug you? He did not drug me. All right. He's never even met me. Okay. Well, then he couldn't have. I. This is my. I'm having the same reaction I had about OJ. I loved OJ. I thought OJ was the. I loved him. We're USC people, and he was just a great guy. And he was in freaking Naked Gun for oh, crying out and loud. Just, Oh, handsome on. and you know, run OJ, run running through the Hertz, the Hertz dealer, the, yes, the, the rental car, and the oh. Now let's make a huge <laughs> uh, differentiation between OJ, who of course was only found civilly liable, never criminally convicted, mm-hmm. but is in prison for another thing, and Bill Cosby, who has not been formally charged with any crime and only had one civil suit, which was settled out of court, right. So let's make that huge difference. But I'm having the same thing where at first I'm thinking, this can't be true. I love Bill Cosby. This can't be. And then one other woman after another woman. Now they're all kind of jumping on the bandwagon. I think to myself, well, this is odd. But then I try to put myself in their position back in 1969 or 70. And he's Bill Cosby. And there's no TMZ. Right. There's a National Enquirer maybe back then. I don't even know. But there's no, nobody's going to believe you. And you sort of think, well, maybe this is just kind of how it goes, and I, I, I'm just never going to be around him again, and you well, and, it go. There's, and there's also the traditional, you know, the embarrassment, and you know, and I, then I, nobody I, would believe you. Who would believe right, you? Right? No, the, the, one of the most beloved figures in American pop culture yes. ever is, you know, Doctor Huxtable. Why? Uh, uh, but definitely the the, the with the number of uh, of sightings of smoke that yes. have been coming so yes. far this much you smoke. can't help but start to turn the corner on that and go okay that. and and his reaction to yeah. it too is so there was a uh, the AP put up this is very interesting the AP interviewed him about this art museum before he was interviewed by our NPR where Scott Simon asked him the question and he awkwardly wouldn't answer AP did the same thing Asked him the questions, and he went on in this tape. You have to see it. It's on, it's on, the, on the intraweb. Uh, and he won't answer the question. And after the interview is over, and it's all on video, he says to the reporter, I would like you to cut that out since I gave you no information. And uh, if you have any integrity, he starts pressuring the reporter not to use it. The reporter is cringing. Well, my boss has made me ask. Oh. And then someone off camera is who I assume is the producer saying, well, we don't really see it's relevant. They did not use it until after NPR put their stuff up and it went everywhere. Then they went back and put the whole thing up. And I give them credit because it's so awkward the way the reporter is cringing 
And I know that I've been in that position before where you just have to say, I understand. I don't give a yes or no. I just say, I understand. I will relay your thoughts. I understand. But this guy is just cringing. And then the producer saying, well, it's not really relevant. I'm thinking, not really relevant. This is the most relevant part of the entire interview. And they didn't use it. But to their credit, they went back and they've done sort of a mea culpa and put it out there now. Yeah. Oof, boy. Sorry. No, that's okay. This is just, I mean, I, I don't even know how this is going to play out. It's and, not like Jim Wise, uh, not like your Jim Wise podcast, yeah, is it? He was fun. He is funny. <laughs> oh, you listen to that. Larry. What? I'm a snark monkey. Yay. Um, I think we're done. Okay. It's been an hour. I love you. Have we? And I love you back. <laughs> uh, 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 where can people find you? At Jane Wells on Twitter and uh, at CBC.com. And then you just pop up. And they all be in, see me in front of a cow. <laughs> Search Jane Wells cow pig. Speaking of which, what's the deal with Geraldo Rivera? I'm sorry. That was a, <laughs> I, I was going to ask you that question anyway. Oh, okay. What's the deal with Geraldo? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Here's, now, here's my memory of Geraldo. Okay. 2020, back in the day. Oh, seriously. Long, flowing hair. Yeah. The investigative journalist. Yes. The one that everybody Unafraid. wanted to be. Uh Frickin' Doonesbury was incorporating him into, you know, strips. He, he was setting the bar for what that was like. Yes. But he was but he was wearing the leather jacket and the tie, and he was, you know, he on the edge. He was the first guy to make himself part of the story. Right. Now, the definitely the jump to the shark moment for him was Capone's vault. Yikes. <laughs> uh, which, for those of you who don't remember that. Google that. Big special. They opened it up. There's nothing. What and is he starts it? tap dancing. <laughs> However, he did uh, sort of come back during because his coverage of the OJ trial was the most watched coverage of any uh, any show. Well, I don't know Rivera I, Live on CNBC. I guess that's right. No, it was. Yeah, it was. That was what people watched. All right. So what? But what's happened to him? <laughs> what's What's the deal with Geraldo? Well, I can't speak for him. Nope. Now I don't want you to. I want your uh, impression. Here's my impression. When I first was told that part of my job for being with WNBC was to cover the OJ trial for CNBC for Geraldo's show, I was not happy because he was he had his daytime show where you know throwing chairs, breaking noses with neo Nazis, and I thought he was a bit of a showboat. And I said, I will do this, but I'm going to do things my way. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, there I was. That's scary. Well, <laughs> one important thing I learned from Geraldo is kill him with kindness. I would be on his show. He never, ever once told me how to report the story. He never, he never, all he did was build me up. He would lead into me. And now let's go to Jane Wells, who really is the top reporter on this story. And, and always, Jane Wells, great job as always. Jane, you're all over it as always. Jane Wells this, Jane Wells that. And I'm starting thinking, you know, I like this Geraldo guy. <laughs> He's smart. <laughs> so he was so good to me. And then we finally met. You know, we were bi-coastal. And the first time I met him, he's like, yay, Janie. And he comes right for the lips. Oh, yeah. And I turn. That giant mustache coming <laughs> at you. Oh. And I turn and he gets the cheek. And that was the only time. And I thought, well, I'm sure he does. It's a volume. You know, it's volume. You do, you do it enough times. You, you're you're, you're going to score. Yeah. You're bound, you're bound yeah. to get a strike once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was so nice. You know, he was so nice to me and so good to me. All right. That's a good Geraldo story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're done now. Okay, that's fun. Will you come back? Uh, any, will you, will you uh, do... talk about myself? Yeah. Oh, 
Don't get between we, me and microphone. Can you uh, come back and talk about uh, how <laughs> how the cow attacked you or yes. <laughs> whatever the next yes, big next story time, is going to be? Yes, next time, Farm Report. All right. Fight on. Fight on. Get a monkey. Get a monkey! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.